0: Father, thank you for today, and um, I just thank you for your presence in this place. And I thank you, as um, someone prayed earlier, Lord, that uh, you are our father, you are our dad, and Lord, I pray for the people in this room who maybe are missing their dad, and he's not around right now, and due to whatever reason. And there's a hole there, Lord, and I just pray that you would fill that hole. I pray that you would reach in and just make all the difference. Lord, I pray even as we as we go through this next few minutes of uh, looking at your word that you would help us to see what it is you want to bring us into. Lord, I believe that you have more for each and every person in this room. And you want to give us a chance to step into that more. So help our ears to be um, to be open to what you want to say. Help me to be open to what you want to say. And, and, and let me not get in the way of whatever it is you want to speak into people's hearts here today. So come and have your way, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, I, I done this and I said I was going to just look at it for two weeks. Um, this whole idea of, like, you're the man. and And last week, we looked at three people who were the men, but who had either started off well and finished badly or kind of got a bit messed up along the way or was an absolute rogue and then, then got saved and got changed and, and, and finished well. And we looked at Saul, King Saul, we looked at King David, and then we looked at Saul who became Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. Um, and I looked at the three of them, and, and we looked at the whole idea of how their lives was changed by somebody coming up and going to them, you're the man. And it was usually you're the man that you're at to screwing up and you're at the messing up and you're at making a mess of this. Um, And what I said last week was, and what I want to continue with today is, I want to talk about the three people who were the ones who went to them and said, you're the man. Because these were the men that God used to go and put his finger on people that he wanted to use, but who needed someone to go to them and show them that. And these are the people, much more so than the ones last week, who I think God wants us to model what we're doing on. Because you see, I think there's loads of people in your life and there's loads of people in my life who just need us to go to them and go, you can do more. You can be more than you are. You can be more than what the world told you you were going to be. You can be more than what school told you were going to be. You can be more than what your teacher or your ma or your dad told you you can be. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. There is more in this world for us to do, to be, to experience. There's more lives to impact. There's people all around us who are lost. And shrinking back from telling them that they can have more in their life. And that they don't have to live the rest of their life lost. It's not going to help them. But that's going to take guts and it's going to take courage. And more than anything else, I believe it's going to take God moving in you and me to step into that place and do it. So I want to look at these three people. And the first two, the very first one is like uber famous. is like Samuel, he wrote. There's two books in the the Bible about him, and he's mentioned in loads of other places, and he was this big, mega prophet guy. It would be like, I don't know, you want to compare him to somebody, say, the Pope or something, like, I mean, he's up there, right? He was, like, running the country, basically. Um, He he was born, his mom couldn't have babies. Um, She cried at the temple one day. The priest accused her of being drunk, All of this story is in 1 Samuel. You can look it up yourself when you go home. Please do. 1 Samuel 1. Um, Hannah was his mom's name and Elkanah, I think is how you pronounce his dad's name. And she couldn't have kids. And then she was there one day and she was praying, so broken hearted praying, that the priest thought she was drunk. The priest Eli. And Eli had two sons, by the way, he really failed as a father. Okay? Look at his story. And what... He, anyway, when he realized she wasn't drunk and he said, look, may your prayer be answered. And she ended up getting pregnant and she had a baby. And she said, if I have, her prayer was, God, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. So she kept her promise. This is a, sorry, I haven't got this in my notes. Do you ever make a promise and not keep it to God? Oh God, if you get me out of this, now I swear, swear to God, if you get me out of this one, I'll, and then you don't. For he still gets you out of the next one. That's his patience and his grace. That he's done to me as well. And many times I've promised him I'd do all kinds of stuff. and never did it. And he still is faithful. And still loves us. Anyway, that's an aside. That's another week's preaching. We'll get to that one another time. So here's the thing. Samuel, when he's about 11. not when he's smaller than 11. His mammy brings him up. Now you can go, where's the parenting and that I don't know, and I know priests don't have a great reputation when it comes in this country and kids and all that, but like, not every priest was like that, but in this story Samuel is given into the priesthood as a child to grow up, and he grows up becoming a prophet and when he's 11 he's in bed one night and he hears a voice calling him saying Samuel, and he gets up and he runs into Eli, who's the priest, and he goes yeah, what you want? And he goes, I didn't call you so he goes back to bed Here's the voice again, goes back into Eli again. Third time, here's the voice, and he goes back into Eli. Eli said, that's God talking to you. He talks to you again. Answer him and say, I'm listening. Tell me what you want me to know. Then he does say, I'm listening. Tell me what you want me to know. And then God tells Samuel at 11 years of age that Eli the priest is toast, basically, and so is his family. And you can read that whole story in 1 Samuel 3, okay? I was thinking, imagine an 11-year-old child having to go in to this guy who is his boss, his mentor, his father figure, whatever, and tell him, God said, he's not happy with you. i was wondering what the fear of that must have been like for a child. And how amazing God was that he was able to get an 11-year-old to do that. And as he grew, he became Israel's leader. And in 1 Samuel 3.20 it says, Then all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew Samuel was a true prophet of God. Now that, you might as well say everyone from Donegal to Kerry, from Galway to Dublin knew. About Samuel and knew that he was God. And then he became a kingmaker, and it's Samuel who anoints Saul to be king. And when the people in Israel said that they wanted a king, Samuel took it personally because he took it as a rejection of him. And I'm throwing all these little bits out to go this guy was human, he was hurt. A lot of people think people who are leading like politicians or people who lead churches or lead in anything, that they have no feelings. But they do. They get hurt as well. And he went to God and complained about the people rejecting. And God said, they didn't reject you. They rejected me. Go and pick Saul. I'm going to show you who to pick. Go and pick him and anoint him to be king. And in 1 Samuel 10, he does. He anoints Saul to be king. 1 Samuel 15, he confronts Saul. Saul is now king, he's now doing stuff, but he's done something wrong. Samuel is the man God sends to tell Saul he's wrong. But he started teaching Samuel how to do that when he was a child. A prophet in the scripture is not a fortune teller. It's not someone who just tells you the future. It's someone who speaks the truth. In good and bad situations, sometimes they may hear from God something that's going to happen in your life and help you along the way. But most times in the scriptures, there are people who speak the truth into situations. And it's not always the truth that people want to hear. The truth might set you free, but it could really annoy you for a while first. In 1 Samuel 16, Saul had lost, basically been told he was going to lose the kingdom at this stage. And Samuel was feeling sorry for Saul. And God told him to stop feeling sorry for him. That he had picked somebody else. Saul got his chance. He messed it up. I've picked somebody else to do the job. Stop feeling sorry for him and go and find the new guy. And I was thinking, Saul, Samuel was human. He felt sadness, anger, frustration. He was deceived in lots of ways. But he listened to God. He listened to God. He was deceived in that he went to pick David. He was sent to anoint David to be king. But he saw people who looked kingly. And in his human thinking and in his own deception, he thought he has to be the fella. Because he looks like a king. He was just the same as you and me. He just had a different life. There was... In essence, there was nothing spectacular about him except that he heard from God and he did what God told him, even when it was hard. It's easy to do what God tells us when it's easy. It's a different story doing it when it's hard. Samuel died. In 1 Samuel 25, we see that Samuel died. And he gives a farewell speech in chapter 12. And in that, he challenges the whole nation. He said, look at." Here I am, I've done this, this, and this. If you've anything wrong to say about me or anything I did on you, tell me now. And I'll fix it. And nobody had anything bad to say about him. And at one stage he prayed to change the weather, to prove to the people that they needed to turn to God. And the weather changed. But here's how I finished up with Samuel, because I'm, I'm really only skating over these people's lives. Because I want to point you in a direction. I want to point you, go, go find out about these people. Read about them. Read their stories. If like, Put the newspaper down for an hour and just read one Samuel and read this guy's life story. It's better than a novel. But in the end, Samuel promised that he would pray for people. He promised that he would teach them, and he promised that he would remind them of God. And then we move on to number two, Nathan. I mentioned him last week. He's the fellow who confronted David over Bathsheba. And he's mentioned in 2 Samuel, he's mentioned in the book of Kings, and he's mentioned in the book of Chronicles. And in 2 Samuel seven twenty three, it says, David wanted to build a house for God. Because David was living in a palace, and the ark of God was still being housed in a tent. But David wanted to build a fancy house. He wanted to build a church, basically, for God. For God to live in, okay? This is God who owns the whole universe, who's beyond the universe, who our brains can't fathom, but David wants to build a house for him, Okay? Nice idea. And Nathan says, go ahead. If that's what you want to do, do it. Because the Lord is richer, so whatever your heart is at, do it. Because it seemed like a good idea. But then the Lord spoke to Nathan. And he said, go and tell David, no, you're not building a house for me. Your son will, but you won't. And I was thinking, I wondered what David... Ta, because Nathan, do you, you ever say yes to someone and then have to go back and say no to them? That's a boomer, An absolute boomer, having to go back and say no. If you'd have said no in the first place, as awkward as it would have been, it's never as hard as having to go back. But here was David, I'm going to build a gaff for God's. I have millions put aside for it. We're going to build something spectacular. And Nathan's going, you're the man, go for it, that's great. Brilliant. Goes home, has a little kip. God wakes him up and says, no, you better go back and tell him that's a No. And I'm trying to put myself in David's or in Nathan's place and go, "How am I going to go back and tell this fella no?" But he does. Luckily, David takes it. But then I think that was setting him up for something that was even more so, in that when he had to go and confront him over committing adultery with Bathsheba and over killing Uriah. And in two Samuel twelve one it says. The Lord sent Nathan. The Lord sent him. So the Lord went, Nathan, get up and go. Get up and go. And he confronted David. And he told him this story about a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man being robbed by the rich man. And he convicted him. He said, you're the man. You did this. And then he comforted him. Because in the next couple of lines, he says, the Lord forgives you. And then he encouraged him. And he said, your son will be king. And your family will continue always before me. Chapter 7, verse 16. And he was talking about Jesus. Because Jesus comes from the line of David. See, Nathan was a man who heard God and he obeyed even when he made a mistake. Because he made a mistake. But then he had to go back and go, sorry, got that wrong. Here's the real message. I often wonder would I go back and tell him I was wrong I'm not sure I would I think I'd bottle it I think I'd go you better send someone else with that one Jesus I don't know if I'm up for that and then I want to move on quickly to Acts and this guy and this is what I want to to try and bring because this guy I think is more like us than them other two to the best of my knowledge none of us were raised and sent to live with the priests for all of our life to learn how to be a priest None of us have been prophets in the in, in the land of kings or living somewhere where people of power have been asking us what we think about stuff. But this next guy, Ananias, was just an ordinary guy. But he was a disciple of Jesus. He knew Jesus. He had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He knew the voice of God speaking to him. And he also learned how to do what God was telling him. And it's in Acts 9 and in verse 10 is where we meet him first. But here's the bit I want to say about him. He wasn't a leader, he wasn't a king, and he wasn't a prophet. He was a disciple. The exact same thing that we would be called. A disciple. A follower of Jesus, that's all it means. But in verse 10, he heard God call his name. God went, Ananias. And he went, yeah, here I am, Lord. And in verse 11, God said, go to Saul. And in verse and Ananias said, are you mad? He wants to kill us. That's like going to the leader of ISIS and trying to think of something as mad as it could possibly be here in our heads. That's like God waking you up and saying, go over and tell your man that's running ISIS that he's going to, be my, he's going to become Pope. I mean, that's, like, that's how mad... That was. And he's like, are you crazy, God? I think you've lost it now. Or maybe he was thinking, maybe I've lost it. Maybe I'm not actually hearing them Because I don't really want to hear this. We'd be off and messing at home and i go, I think God's talking to Dan going, What now? Right? You can do that all you like he's still going to keep talking <laughs> the scary bit is more that he might stop talking than that he will keep talking because here's the thing if Ananias had said no do you think that would have stopped God's plan no he just got someone else to do but Ananias would have missed out on the opportunity to see a miracle and he did see a miracle he went in he met this guy he prayed with him Your man went from being blind to being healed immediately. He went from being someone who killed Christians to being someone who preached Christianity all over the known world, who wrote half the New Testament. How do you think Ananias felt later on in the years as he heard the stories about Paul? Do you not think he was sitting there somewhere going having a cup of tea? I led him to the Lord. Do you not think someday he got up to heaven and went, Hey, Jesus, we got it right with your man, didn't we? What chances are we getting? Like most people know of Billy Graham. Most people know Billy Graham, yeah? yeah. Anyone know who who introduced him to Jesus, or who introduced that person to Jesus? But someone did, and I knew the man's name, but I can't think of it right now. Like we don't know what you don't know that the person you speak to may not be the person who will turn our country around. I don't know that the next person I speak to isn't going to be the person who can turn this country around. I don't know that the kids that we speak to in there, or at home, or in other places, aren't going to be the next politicians who will run our country. Or the doctor that one of us is going to be dependent on to mind us or the leader of some church that's going to turn some city upside down we just don't know who we're speaking to and what the potential in them is but God does and if he tells us to speak with somebody we have the choice every time to go no and he will not bash us and he won't reject us but we miss out on something amazing because we're too busy sitting at home watching Oprah or doing something else that's more comfortable than what he's calling us to do. They were three ordinary men, just flesh and blood people like you and me. They weren't anything special. They were born, they grew up, they had snotty noses, they'd done whatever other kids did, and then they became people. And they were scared, and they were angry, and they were frustrated. And they were in awkward situations. And they were in dangerous situations. Ananias took his life in his hands walking into Paul. Nathan took his life in his hands walking into David. Samuel took his life in his hands walking into Saul. They literally took their lives in their hands. I would have to say I don't think I have ever took my life in my hands to tell anyone about God. I have been uncomfortable and awkward and embarrassed and enraged. I'm really annoyed with people after, or before, or during it, but I don't think my life has ever been in danger. I haven't got to that place yet. I don't know that as a culture and as a world, we're not too far away, man. But right now, we have that freedom, and I think there was four things they did: one was they listened; two, they heard; three, they obeyed; and four, they saw miracles, and they were part of God changing history. And the challenge, I think, God wants for me, and for you, is do you want to be part of changing history? That doesn't mean that we have to to take over the country, or we have to do anything miraculous, or we we don't have to see somebody amazingly change their life. We just need to be faithful to what God tells us to do. But to be faithful to what God's telling you to do, you need to hear him in the first place. and To hear him, you need to listen. And to listen, you need to take the time but then you can listen and you can hear, but then you have to do. And if what you're hearing isn't what you want to hear, that's hard. But it's possible. And it's more than possible, it's doable. Because he'll give us the grace. There's a scripture in Philippians that says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. All things. He won't ask you to do something that he won't carry you through. He won't ask you to step out of your comfort zone and put your neck on the line without being there with you doing it. He just won't. So I don't know what situation you're in and I don't know what God's saying to you. I'm going to clip. Because that's between you and him. My job, as I said earlier, is to equip you. I think to equip you is to say, you have in you whatever it is God's called you to do. You have the strength. You have the courage. You mightn't feel like you have it. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's being afraid and doing it anyway. But you have anything, anything that you need to do, whatever it is God's called you to do. You will impact people. No one else in this room will impact. No one else. And if you don't, and this is not meant in any way as a put down, a thing or a threat. If you don't, He'll get someone else too. I am still convinced that there was many other people God asked to do what we do in Crumlin. But they said no. We just said yes. And have made a mess of it more times and got it right. But we just keep saying yes. And I think he wants to know, will you say yes? That's the question whatever it is he's asking you to do. And I I honestly don't know what that is. But we just say yes. Let's pray. Um, And if you're sick before you leave, John will come up and and, and we'll pray and we'll anoint you with oil because we believe that oil represents the spirit of God and the Holy Spirit. and, And the scripture tells us that if somebody is sick, they should go to the elders and we're probably two of the oldest people in the room. So come to us. And we'll pray for you, and we'll anoint you with oil. It says the anoint oil. And, and the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick person. So we will pray for that. And we've seen people healed. And we've seen people getting changed because God's touched them. And if you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, can I ask you all just for a minute to close your eyes? If you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about, Or you don't have a relationship with God the way I'm talking about it. Then I want to encourage you right now to just invite him in. Ask him to come in and be part of your life. You don't have to be any big rigmarole. You just have to go, Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to be part of my life. Please come. Show me. Show me. And he will. He really will. So, Father, I I, I don't know where where everyone is at. You do, though. You know what you've been saying into their hearts. And it's not just for today. You've been saying this to some people for a long time. You've been calling them to do stuff. You've been calling them to step into things or step out of things or or move towards you in a different way or, or whatever it is. I have no idea, Lord, but you do and they do. I have no doubt right now you're speaking to hearts. And you're reminding people of things that you called them to. So Father, I pray that your power of your Holy Spirit right now, you would encourage, empower, set free your people to be all that you created them to be. That there is none of us that will go home from this planet and not have lived it to the max. That will none of us will go home from this planet to you and have done everything that was possible for us to do. Lord, as none of us will get to the end of our life and regret that we didn't take the chance. That we didn't step out. Lord, as none of us will be on our deathbed going, I wished I had a try it. I should have had a go at that. I should have said something. Lord, I pray today is the day that regrets stop. And the making of regrets ends. I pray if there's stuff people in this room need to stop doing, that they get whatever the strength they need to do to stop doing it. I pray that if there's people in this room that need courage to be released into what they're supposed to do, then I pray that you would do it. You place dreams in the hearts of us. I am convinced you put dreams in people in this room. You said you have released into this body pastors, leaders, teachers, evangelists, prophets. They are in this room, Lord God, but they need to be released into that place and they need to release themselves into it with you. So right now I pray you would break everything that would stop them. May the spirit of the living God set you free to be all that you were created to be. May he release dreams in your heart. May he show you the path that you should walk in. And may you have the courage and the strength to follow him. And may he bring you to the place that he wants to bring you to, that only he can show you. To freedom. To adventure. To life. I ask it in Jesus' name.